Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can create an amazing business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Hello and welcome back to My Business Playbook. This is International Women's Day Part 2. Now, if you haven't listened to yesterday's episode, our bonus episode, I encourage you to do so. We interviewed a bunch of women that I admire in business and in life and in their careers, and it was really, really inspiring. But today, we're doing something really special. To celebrate International Women's Day this year, I I really wanted to do something different, and I wanted to actually partner with a, a business or partner with an organization actually that help women in need and by chance I met Mark from Forever Projects and we immediately hit it off and I realized I should I should partner with these guys so this kind of all came about kind of very naturally and then we realized actually I think it would be great for us to partner together for International Women's Day And so that's kind of how this has come about. And I really wanted to share a little bit about Forever Projects and what they do. And I know you're going to find this conversation really inspiring. So Forever Projects are a not-for-profit. They're based here in Australia. But what they do is they help women in Tanzania to break the cycle of poverty. And they do this in a couple of ways. The first way is they help women when they've just had a baby they help them if, if their baby's malnourished. They help them actually if they can't feed, if they can't breastfeed, they actually help them to get access to formula. They, they do all these practical things as, as women have babies. But then what they do is once the women and once the families and the children are in a healthy place, then they actually go, all right, let's make this sustainable for you. Let's make you a self-sustaining community. And so what they do is they work with these women to set up businesses. So these women have a skill set, whether it's sewing or making jewelry or whatever it is, they actually go, okay, cool, let's work with your skill set and let's set up a business so that you can not only support yourself and your kids, but you can actually support your extended family. And it's such a worthy cause to get behind. So what we wanted to do, for International Women's Day 2021, we really wanted to partner with Forever Projects to share a bit of their story so that you can understand what they do, how they actually are doing this in Tanzania and actually how you could be a part of it if you wanted to. And also, I just think this story will inspire you. Mark is a really incredible guy. He's adopted three kids. He and his wife, Anna, have adopted three kids from Tanzania. They have six kids, six of them. (laughs) crazy. They have six kids. He's also a maths teacher on the side and he, and the way he set up the organization is really transparent. It's really unique. And I really think that you're going to find this inspiring. And also I hope that it challenges you this International Women's Day as we, as we think about what it means to be a woman, as we think about the things that need to change, the way that we need to lead. I really feel challenged myself that I need to lead in the way that I'm generous towards others and generous towards those in need. And I really think this is an important cause to get behind whatever that is, whatever that looks like for you. I hope that you feel inspired. I hope that you feel encouraged today. So 
I'm not going to waste any more time with my rambling. Let's dive in to my conversation with Mark Tompkins of Forever Projects. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us today. It's so good to be chatting with you and especially on International Women's Day week with all that you do at Forever Projects. I know that this conversation is going to be really inspiring and I'm really looking forward to it. So thank you so much for joining us. Stoked to be here, Laura. Thank you so much. Ah, My pleasure. So before we begin, tell us about Forever Projects and what you guys do and how you started this amazing organisation. Well, uh, yes, yeah, so we empower Tanzanian women uh, to provide for their families. And uh, Forever Projects is a fundraising community that, uh, yeah, it just resources local Tanzanian teams to get alongside women in some of the most challenging circumstances to, to break that cycle of poverty uh, and live with dignity and hope. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing project that's just captured our hearts. And as, as you know, it's like really closely tied to our family's kind of adoption journey in Tanzania about 10 years ago. Amazing. And so tell us a little bit about that because you are a dad of six. That's right. That's yep. crazy. Tell it's us about how, oh my gosh, how, and I'm one of five. So I kind of feel like, oh my gosh, I can't like. I look at my parents and I'm like, wow, you guys are incredible. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> but you have six. That's amazing. So yeah. talk to us about your adoption journey and and because I know that's a big part of your Forever Project story. So talk to us about that. Yeah, de- definitely. And I think, uh, yeah, really understanding uh, the problem we're trying to solve in Tanzania, it's really closely connected to our family story. So about 10 years ago, um, my wife Anna and I, we moved to Tanzania with our four and one-year-old at the time. Uh, so I'm a math teacher by trade. So we were living and working at this international school. I was teaching maths um, and as a psychologist. So she was uh, a boarding parent and a school counsellor. And we were right in the southern slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, so you could, you know, w- walk to your classroom in the morning and you'd look up and you'd see the glaciers of Kilimanjaro. And uh, it was just amazing. So we were living and working there. But for a long time, we had this like dream of really opening up our, a family to kids who didn't have a family of their own. Um, and so through living and working in that uh, country, we came to know about an organisation called Forever Angels and they cared for malnourished and abandoned children who were between zero and five years old and had no option uh, for a family. And so we, we get, got to know them and their work and just fell in love with their mission of making sure that kids were connected to their biological family at all possible, you know, if it was all possible and preventing family separation. Uh, and so through that organisation, we, we started fostering and eventually adopted our three kids, Shay, Charlie and Jabari. And uh, it was amazing. Like by the end of 2013, we'd moved home to Australia. But at the time we started fostering our kids, uh, we had a four-year-old and four one-year-olds. <laughs> so oh, was, my gosh. Uh, you can, yeah, in living in East Africa with, you know, work and it was, it was manic. So uh, life back here doesn't seem so complicated even though we've got six kids now. <laughs> wow. And so how long did you live in Tanzania for? Uh, three and a half years. Yeah, so mid-2010 to end of 2013, we were there. Yeah. Wow. And so what sparked the move to Tanzania for you guys? What kind of made you go, oh, we, we should kind of move our lives over here for a bit? Yeah, it was. I think it was a uh, – I know we're both lovers of story and I think uh, it was like the – just the culmination of a whole series of decisions that uh, started years years earlier. We remember really vividly sitting on the couch uh, watching a doco about 
uh, the state of um, abandoned children in China. And these volunteers had kind of snuck in these, you know, little hidden cameras and were exposing the uh, human rights abuse that was going on in there. And we're watching this documentary, you know, after dinner and our six-month-old, our oldest son's like on the couch next to us just, you know, loved and cared for. And we, that was kind of the first seed for us that was just this is not okay and what, what would it look like for our family to be part of the solution to kids like this who don't have a family. So, you know, after a few years of, you know, investigating and, and thinking about what it might look like domestically, um, we just got to a point where we were ready, you know, our hearts were primed and um, one day Anna just said, I, th- I think we should move. We've always wanted to live overseas and I was like, yeah, let's go. So, wow. That is crazy. And so then fast forward, were when you were there and when you adopted your, your three beautiful kids, did you kind of know we're going to go home and start an organisation that is going to help change this? Like, did you know that or was that later? Yeah, it was, it was kind of while we were there. So, uh, it would have been about 2012. Uh, we were, you know, really closely connected with the work um, of this baby home, not just while we were in the fostering process and had fostered our kids, but obviously afterwards and, and the founder is one of our great friends, you know, for 10 years now. And we started to see them pivoting and really thinking, how can we get ahead of the problem? Uh, I remember the story of this uh, lady named Teresa that, that Amy and the team at uh, the, the baby home shared where this lady had been kicked out of her home with her little little baby. Uh, her husband had kicked her out, this Tanzanian lady, and she was living on the streets just struggling to get by and her child had become unnourished. And so she one day just went to the baby home, this orphanage that we'd adopted through, and she was about to abandon her child, like leave him at the gate, this little boy named Edward, and just walk off in the belief that that would be a better life for him. Uh, and luckily one of the staff at the baby home saw this and ran after her and started a conversation and brought it back and, uh, and and provided hope, you know, that she could actually not have to make that decision. And so they provided her with initial crisis support, uh, nutrition for Edward, and then helped her get a job as a cleaner. And then 12 months later, Edward had regained his weight, was healthy. She had an income, was providing for him and that family was uh, united and, and hadn't needed to be separated. And so, while we were living there, we were starting to see more and more stories like this and the obstacle was just funds you know, to scale this work up and to make that the kind of key part of, of what this organisation was doing. Uh, so I think that we, we didn't really think to ourselves, we're going to go back to Australia and start, you know, this, this organisation called Forever Projects. But I think like in any story, you just go, well, what's the next thing to do? And the next thing was just to share those stories with friends and family back in Australia so there was one trip we came back just to visit friends and family midway through 2012 and we thought let's get stories like Teresa's that are full of hope. Let's um, tell them beautifully with photography and um, hang them up in the walls of one of our friends' cafes in, in Wollongong, which is where we're from. Uh, invite 60 friends and family and just trust that those stories will really work on people's hearts um, and then just invite people to give as they feel led. And so that night we raised 16 grand from 60 people. Wow. Um, we then took... 100% of that money, obviously, back to Tanzania and gave it to the team to continue their work. And uh, and then one year later, we ran another event like that where we could connect those 60 people with where their money the year before had gone with new stories of hope. Um, so I think that that was the first seeds of Forever Projects, that, that idea of invite people into something, connect them with what they've done and just keep repeating that. Yeah. So cool. And, and that really ties into my next question for you because I love that your approach – seems different to a lot of um, not-for-profits and charity organizations and I'd love to unpack how what you mm. do is quite different and 
and kind of your approach to how you help the women and the families in Tanzania. So can you talk us through like how your approach is different? Totally. Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, understanding that the the best people to, to solve these problems for the women and children in Tanzania are not, you know, some white guy from Australia, but it's the, it's the people of Tanzania who know their country and their people better than us. So number one, it's got to be Tanzanians who are doing this work. Um, and if we can fund that and remove obstacles for them in that way, that's great. But keeping that separate, you see some non- non-profits where people who probably don't understand the sensitivity around the culture and so on of the countries they're visiting are getting involved in ways that potentially they, they shouldn't. Yeah. So that's that's really important. Um, I think uh, as, as Forever Projects has kind of grown, um, having a, you know, a really unique connection to the problem we're trying to solve like with our family's connection to, to Tanzania and our adoption journey, I think that makes quite a unique and it, it really um, accelerates trust, I think, for people to go, this is a founder that's got a really deep connection with the problem they're trying to solve. You know, we, we think about for our kids, you know, the day we left the baby home and started fostering them, all three of them, there were 57 other kids, you know, who didn't have that opportun- opportunity for a family and and we would think to ourselves, what, what would it have taken for our kids' biological mum to have not needed to have made that decision. And so I think that really unique connection and real heart-wrenching connection to the problem we're solving is unique and has a lot of trust. Uh, and then I think the commitment to uh, invitational storytelling. You know, we're not trying to hustle people. We're not trying to guilt or shame people. We believe that these stories are hopeful and that you put in front of the right audiences, like at that cafe that I shared, that people will just delight to give rather than it being some kind of burden. So we really try and lean into those, I guess, key points of difference. Yeah, that make us unique. And I love as well, your business model is that kind of have two different um, ways of funding. So you've got your, Mm -hmm. can you talk us through that, how that kind of works and and how the the proceeds actually go to the people? Yeah, I loved the recent episode with, um, was it Nick? Bluestone. The cafes in the US. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, I love, one of the things I loved he said was that, you know, as a founder, you've got to really study the industry that you're in. Um, and so we early on were looking at how different charities were structured, what was successful, what wasn't. And one stood out for us, Charity Water, and they had a core group of people that funded their operational costs as a, as a business, um, yeah. so to speak. So staff, marketing, you know, credit card fees, all the boring sort of stuff that's necessary so that every other cent that was given by other donors outside of that core group could go to the, to the pro- projects that they funded. And so we thought that really resonates with us. Uh, yeah. So early on, we invited those first 60 people that we'd done those fundraisers for and said, how about you guys fund our operational costs? And, uh, and then that means when we grow and we invite new people to give, you know, for example, if someone listening was to give $100 to Fiverr Projects, uh, we'd lose $2.85 in Stripe e-commerce fees, but this core group will make that up. And they'll pay for the credit card fee so that $100 will go to Tanzania. So um, wow. yeah, that's another thing that's unique about us. Yeah, and it really just takes that question of transparency, how much admin is there, it takes that off the table and we can say, yeah, we've got overheads like any business, but they're covered by someone other than you. So that's not a reason to not give. Yeah, totally, totally. So you empower women and families in Tanzania. Talk to us about actually how that plays out practically because I know you've got this this vision to actually not just come in and go, hey, here's this funding and and we're going to give you this stuff and and then say see you later. Like you really want to actually have an ongoing impact that 
that actually allows people and women to be sustainable and and actually support their families long term. So can you talk to us about how that plays out and and what that actually looks like? Yeah, totally. And I think uh, having listened to a couple of your episodes, I think this will really resonate with where you've been going because there's a lot of empowerment in the the light you've been shining on different um, founders that have come on, whether it's photography or PR or marketing with Lala. Like it's the idea of we want to give you a hand up, not just hand out some service and then you're disempowered. Um, So that's really consistent with what we do yeah. with um, from the projects. Yeah. So the, pro- the, the incident that would uh, have a woman uh, need to come to the team would be that her, her child is uh, malnourished. So, so maybe she's too sick to lactate, whether it's, you know, it's HIV AIDS or tuberculosis or malaria. Like there's all kinds of reasons why someone mightn't be able to produce breast milk. Um, and in that circumstance, the alternative is uh, formula milk. Uh, now in Australia, if that was a situation we could just go down to Woolworths and pay $30 for a tin of formula milk. Uh, but in Tanzania, one tin of formula, uh, formula will cost uh, your average Tanzanian their whole week's wage. So, And that's just one tin. So, wow. you know, imagine having a newborn, you weren't producing breast milk, you went to Woolies and it said on the, on the price tag $1,100. That's what it would be like um, for a woman in that circumstance. So, so they, they don't have the, the means, most women, um, in that situation to provide for their children. And so there's that point where, well, what do I do? I'm not going to watch my child, you know, lose weight and become sick. And so that's the point that they're referred to our team at Forever Projects. Uh, and the Tanzanian staff will get alongside. They'll um, provide nutrition. And so there'll be weekly meetings, not just with one-to-one, but the whole, whole group of women who are in the same situation. And they'll teach the women how to provide the milk to their children in a way that's safe um, and they can do independent in their homes. And there's weekly weigh-ins. So the, the data on each child in the project is um, is carefully monitored and, and they've got goals in terms of what the World Health Organization says is a you know, healthy range for three months, six months, 12 months. But then at that point, they're identifying that. So that's the nutritional aspect. And then thinking forward, that they're going to be thinking, well, how do we make sure this, this family is independent and sustainable? And so they'll do a situational kind of analysis of the woman's home, where she's working, what her skills are, and identify a small business she might be able to set up. So if she's got some kind of background as a seamstress, pr- providing some capital to you know, buy a sewing machine and, and set up a business, or it might be selling fruit and vegetables at a market. Um, but the, the, And then that training happens um, each week so that after 12 months, there's a business that's been set up and they've been trained in how to sell product at, a right, at the right margin to you know, reinvest and to get new stock and then to use the savings to provide for their kids. And so after 12 months, you've gone from this situation of crisis to uh, independence and dignity and yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's a hand up, not a handout, which is, is what we love to say about the project. So, um, so that, and that 12 month process happens um, and then the women are, you know, empowered and, uh, and the new women can come into that project then uh, and take their place uh, if they're in that same situation. Yeah. Wow. So. And it's such a, I love that there's this pathway that you take the women and families mm. on where it's like, we're going to look after the immediate need and the nutrition. And then we're going to actually go, we're going to look further and actually look at how you can support your family ongoing. So you don't, so that, and I think I've seen you say this where you can have you know, new families coming in to the project rather than it just being that you need to stay in, engaged with us forever kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, the goal being that you're not dependent forever. It's a 12-month process where you're yeah empowered to slowly make steps towards that um, independence. So independence is the is the the key you know marker of success that the, the the child's you know and by that stage the child's eating solids and so they're not having that expensive burden of, of alternative to nutrition. But uh, yeah, independence is what it's all about. Yeah. yeah, and can you share some stories of some of the 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 people that you've helped? Like, do you have any stories that stick out, particularly on the building the business side? Do you have anything that you think our you know I love I know our listeners will love hearing about how you do this, but can you share any of those stories? Yeah, one of the women uh, had this amazing roadside kind of cafe selling um, kind of pastries and you know just like little kind of Tanzanian sweets kind of donuts that people have with a cup of tea in the morning. Uh, and then from there decided that she wanted to also create like a hair salon. And so from the business thriving, she was able to take the profits from that, uh, rent a space, get some equipment, and then started doing hair as well. And so I think it was 2017, we were back visiting uh, the team and, you know, met her and saw, you know, the original spot right at the front and then how she diversified and she had two streams of income coming in um, and, and just seeing the, the pride and as which, you know, she was showing us around and, um, you know, that, that's such a massive part of, of what we're doing that you can't measure the, the dignity that, that someone feels and the pride in going, you know, I was here and now I'm able to help other people. Uh, you often hear that too, that the women in the project are at a point where they can then refer other women to, to get help or help them themselves um, in terms of training and, health and all sorts of stuff so that that empowered to strong feeling is um is, is what it's all about yeah wow that must be such such an amazing thing to to see as well and it doesn't just impact them right it impacts their their family their their extended families as well right it's yeah yep amazing yeah it just flows on yeah and when you think about the basic stuff like um you know making sure that the drink the water you're drinking is clean or that the flasks you're using for, for milk are sterilised properly. Those are things that we might take for granted, but um, people in those communities mightn't have quite understood all of that. So they become teachers, yeah, and, and their children and their children's health is evidence that they know, that they have authority. So they, I guess they become the guide, right, in um, in their communities for the, for the other women and other families around them, yeah. So cool. And so often, you know, and I ask everyone this and – I find that the things we get right are awesome and, you know, it's great to it's great to kind of learn from those things. But I find often we learn more from the things that we get wrong, <laughs> or at least I do. In, in building Forever Projects, what do you think are some of the missteps you've taken and, and how do you think that those things have helped shape you as, a, as an organisation? Mm. Yeah, I love this question. I was... Uh, reflecting on this earlier with with Ben, our creative director, and I think one of the things we've noticed over time is uh, that any founder, any person running a business, an entrepreneur is going to have certain leanings, certain biases, things that they really enjoy more than the, the things that they don't. And so I think we were drawn to create lots of different um, products or experiences as a charity. So we created a monthly giving option and then we did a collaboration with a brewery and there was a beer that you could drink that, you know, 100% of the money would go to Tanzania. Yes. And then there was an art exhibition and there was all these different stuff. But we realized over time that we created these lots of, you know, different ways for, for donors to engage with us, which was important, but we hadn't 
properly leverage those opportunities, those assets through like really effective marketing. And so we were just moving from thing to thing without really scaling each one or really leveraging it, amplifying it as, as much as we could have. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's something that we, uh, in hindsight, just needed to reflect on and say, all right, what was the actual, what's the core kind of product or service or um, invitation we want people to be part of as, as for projects and how do we just go like really double down on that rather than getting spread too thin? Yeah, and I guess that's a tricky one for early stage businesses because you're just lighting fires everywhere trying to work out what's going to catch on. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess trying to as quickly as possible identify what that one or two core things are and, and really focus that, yeah. And I think that that is such a, like, I have done that so many times where I've been like, great, like, we're going to do this campaign and this collaboration and this thing. And then you realize yeah. actually people's memory, people need to know what you're for. And I think mm-hmm. it's really important, particularly in the online space, to be known for something. And if mm. you're doing everything, it can feel like, well, you know, people get confused and people have short attention spans. So I think that's a really, I've definitely, I've definitely done that too. And I, I know a lot of founders and, and small business owners would, would have the allure of, oh my gosh, I need to be doing more stuff and, and more kind of marketing ideas. But I love the idea of just doubling down and, and really focusing on, on the important things that, that people actually will start to catch on and realize, oh, that's what Forever Projects is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, I think those those kind of realizations also can only happen by doing them right. <laughs> I feel like no, totally. it's it's yeah. one of those things. Yeah. And it's funny too, I was going to say, just based on what you were saying there, Laura, like I've, I've reflected over time how some of the way I am um, as a, just as a person, some of that seeps into how Forever Projects is. So for example, if I think about going to a cafe, like I went to it cafe for breakfast on Sunday, Valentine's Day with Anna and you look at the menu and I'm the kind of person that's like, all right, I want to have everything. And <laughs> maybe I just, so maybe I could just order like this and this and this and we'll just share it and because I don't want to miss out on anything. And then my optimism for how much we need or how much we can pull off in that moment um, and my eyes are bigger than my stomach, like literally. And then I look at how I then show up as a, a leader and often I'll do the same. Like I'll think we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And I'm optimistic, which I think every entrepreneur needs to be. But, uh, yeah, just keeping that in check and realising how you do anything, going out for lunch or breakfast is how you do everything, e.g. run your business. So um, just noticing those connections personally is, I think, some really great self-awareness for for leaders in business, yeah. Yeah, I love that. So let's get into, I feel like this is a perfect time to get into some of the practical business advice and like I feel like for you you've done this journey that has been really like a your own experience has has tied into your whole organization and your whole journey so I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on how you've also like how you've gone from being you know a maths teacher to then going all right well I'm a founder and CEO of this organization this charity you know I think that's such an amazing journey so I want to talk to you about your your marketing and your messaging because I think the way that you guys do this is really unique and and I'd love to kind of hear a bit more of of why you you position yourself in this way and and also your branding is really really beautiful so talk to me like 
you use a lot of storytelling um, in your marketing and messaging. Talk to us about how you actually draw these stories out of people and and why you think this this really works. Yeah, I, that's it's been such an important part from the start. And I think the number one thing I'd say is you've got to find someone who, and, and as you know, you've met Ben, our creative director, uh, who just lives and breathes stories and, and just nerds out on it. And so number one, find someone that uh, can do that and then invite them early on into what you're doing because without, you no, know, I, I can write long emails, but the, I, I can't tell stories or curate stories or edit them in a way that, that Ben has been able to. So I think finding the talent that can do that, number one, is important. Um, but I think then through someone like Ben, we've been able to identify that in, in the story brand where you've got the hero who has an obstacle and they meet a guide who can solve their problem. Well, you know, you and I, we love Donald Miller's work with story love brand. Love Don Miller, um, yes. Yeah, I think really with the consistent branding and messaging, really recognising that we're the guide and that the heroes are the women in Tanzania who are overcoming these obstacles. Uh, it's the teams of Tanzanian staff who are getting alongside them to break that cycle of poverty uh, and it's our donors who are generously using what's in their hands, as we say. And so our role is to shine a light on them um, and, and the brave and generous ways that they're showing up and, and just trust that those stories will resonate with, with, uh, with new members of the community as we, as we grow. So I think that's probably been key. Just don't, rec- don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking that you're the hero of your story. You know, you're the guide in the story of other heroes and it's your job to shine a light on them. And I think that when that's done authentically and consistently, that really comes through and it's really effective. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I think it's such an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? Because we, when we're marketing and when we're communicating, we're trying to get ideas out. And so we can often be like, right, I just need to get this idea out and, you know, I need to promote this new thing that I've got or we've got new products or we've just done this launch or whatever. We need to make sales. But I think it's such a temptation to flip into no, I'm the hero and you guys are mm-hmm. kind of just here to help me keep living my life, you know. Yeah, but I think yeah. the positioning and that mindset shift of, no, 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 I'm here to help you succeed and I'm here mm-hmm. um, to actually to guide you to success or whatever the, the result is. And and I love that you guys are so conscious of that and it's really clear in in your messaging that you, you're thinking, okay, our donors want to feel good, you know, for yeah. for being involved. And everyone wants to, like, I think there's something in us as people where we love helping other people and we love helping people who are less fortunate than us. And so if you can actually go, hey, because you've done that, you're, you're the hero and you're the one who's helping, it makes people really um, have more buy-in as well. And then, of course, positioning the, the women and the families that you help as the heroes, that, yeah, that's a really beautiful way of marketing because marketing a charity can be kind of interesting, right? Because you see a lot of people marketing their, marketing in a way that makes you kind of feel guilt as well. Mm. And I love that you guys don't do that. There's always this sense of hope and this sense of, hey, there's something practical you can do to help. And, yeah, I love that you guys do that. Yeah, shame and shame and guilt, like it's a short-term play um, and it's very transactional, but yeah. it's, it's not transformational. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it's, as you said, it's like, it, it's and, and certainly like last year with COVID, that was, as that kicked up, like you really felt like, oh, it's really tempting to, to go into that short-term uh, mindset of just there's a crisis, we need money, but recognising this crisis isn't going away anytime soon. And so what's it like for the person who's, you know, engaging with this story at the moment? Um, their, their world's been turned upside down as well. They not, might not be in Tanzania, but they might have lost their job, whatever else. So what's it like to be them? And that, yeah. that deployment of empathy is so important to really speak to people where they're at at the right time, thoughtfully and generously rather than just thinking about yourself. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and COVID in Tanzania, can you quickly share like what that's been like? Because I feel like we don't, in Australia anyway, it feels like we don't hear much about yeah. any of, anywhere else. So what's it been like in Tanzania? Yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, like back kind of April, May last year, uh, when it started to kick up, the, the government closed schools for a while and um, and there were some kind of restrictions put in place. But very quickly, the economic impact of those decisions was going to have a greater ramification on families and health than the, the virus was. Um, so that didn't last too long. Um, now, the, the impact of COVID last year was like surprisingly low in, in Tanzania. So people were trying to work out what, why that might have been. Uh, things like, you know, we think about in Australia that the age population is the one that's been really hit hardest, whereas in Tanzania, unfortunately, that the percentage of the population who are you know over 50 is quite low just because of the low life expectancy rate. Um, so there wasn't that proportion of the population for the virus to rip through. Uh, a lot of people spend a lot of time outside, whereas we're a lot of time indoors. So there were speculations on why that might have been. Uh, however, in the last month or two, it's just started as it's kicked up in Europe and in the US again. Um, it's, it's started to kick up again there as well. So we're just really listening out carefully to our teams and, and hearing how they're at and seeing where it goes because it hasn't yet, it's, it's picking up and it hasn't slowed down yet. So, yeah, it's, it's, it really gives us a greater sense of urgency that the way we're kind of pivoting for our projects in this next chapter, which I'm sure we'll talk about sometime later on, is um, really important for the work and, um, yeah, the, the new context they're doing their work. So one thing I love about the way that you guys have marketed yourself and, and built your brand is that you are all about collaborations. You're all about partnerships and relationships. And you've got relationships with people in Canva. You, you've also worked with Seth Godin. And I know that you're connected with Scott Harrison from Charity Water, um, just to do a name drop on your behalf. <laughs> but how do you actually... How do you actually build these types of relationships and partner with other brands to get the word out about what you do? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think it starts by not feeling like try, trying to put your imposter to the side. You know, we all have that temptation to feel like, well, who am I to reach out to this person or who would I be to hold a conversation with this particular human? And But recognising that, you oh, the imposter's there to keep you humble, but they're going to get in the way of you doing good and generous work if you let that imposter speak too loudly and so I think that's the first thing just recognizing that that's helpful to a point but not it shouldn't be inhibitive um, and then speaking with people you're reaching out to whether they've got status or you know influences or whatever else in a way that's human to human speaking to that part of them that you you know you like to be spoken to yourself um, and starting with trying to really listen and see where they're going and trying to add value um, or just start with gratitude I, I think as you know, we, I was a student in the old MBA that Seth Godin runs and have since 
coached quite a few sessions um, with with that organisation. It's just been so formative for me. But that started with me uh, after we produced our Forever Projects Manifesto, just reaching out to Seth, um, getting his address and just saying, hey, I read in Tribes, you talked about creating Manifesto and doing all these things and just wanted to send you a copy to say thanks because you've really made a big, big difference to, to the work we do. And that was the catalyst for getting a scholarship into the MBA, Alt MBA and it kind of went from there. And I think the same with, with Scott at Charity Water. So I think, um, yeah, being being grateful in, in writing, saying thank you in writing if someone's added value to your journey. And then if there's something you see that you think might help them, don't hold it back. Like what's the worst that's going to happen? They don't write back or... They say, no, thanks for very thought of that. Like, that's just your pride that's going to be hurt. But um, if you can get over it, it's, it's nothing to lose. There's no downside. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And I love what you said about the imposter syndrome because I think we all get that thing of, oh, like, I should do this. Like, my husband is so – he does not have that at all. Like, he he will just be like, yeah, so I reached out to – um the other day I went onto LinkedIn and he's like, he's reached out to Jessica Alba. <laughs> and I was like, Nath, did you ask her on the podcast? And, you know, shout out, one day she might come on the podcast. But I was <laughs> like, did you reach out to her to come on? And he was like, yeah, she's awesome. Like, she's got a really awesome business. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, who are you? But it, it's actually, it's so one of those things where it's like, actually, what have you got to lose? Nothing. So, mm. And that's what I've learned even with the with doing this podcast and even this International Women's Day campaign that we've run together. People are so happy to, if it works in their schedule, people are happy to to help out. And I think it's um, it's encouraging when you start to realise, oh, okay, people are saying yes and, and that's exciting and, and fun. So to anyone who is like it wants to pitch ideas, you've just got to go for it because if people say no – there's so many other people you could ask. There are so many opportunities. And I think definitely, like you said, Mark, approaching it with gratitude and, and really something personalized to them that says, hey, I love what you do. I loved your book or I love the content that you create or whatever. Being grateful and, and keeping it personal, I think, is such a, good, such a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also doing it without agenda I think yeah. people can sense when there's there's an ulterior motive there, but we can also sense when someone's just giving or you know of themselves just just because that's the right thing to do, and that's increasingly scarce, right? Um, with as, with the, the, the generosity without the hustle or whatever it might be. So anything that's scarce is going to be going up in value. So lean into it, yeah. And I think that's the same with you know you mentioned Canva, but other organisations we've partnered with trying to think like it's one I can think of um, we did a great partnership with last year for this big fundraising campaign what's your Kilimanjaro and um, and they were very generous at giving corporate funds towards their staff getting involved um, but when we really listened to what their problem was it wasn't so much about empowering women in Tanzania although they believe in that it was about getting as many staff as they could in a remote environment engaged and connected to one another and so we show up and go well you're a finance organization um, you don't know how to do this engagement thing. We can help with that. So I think as a business thinking, what's the what's the thing we're really good at that they might not be? And even though they might be worth a billion dollars and we're not, that doesn't matter because there's still ways you can add value. Uh, yeah, that's so good. So, so good. Now, final couple of questions. A lot of our community listening are small business owners, solo entrepreneurs, 
wearing all the hats and and pushing to get their brand off the ground, which, you know, you and I, we both know that feeling (laughs) very well. What is your biggest piece of advice that you wish you knew when you started Forever Projects that you would say to this person listening? Going full circle back to the, you know, family and six kids and so on, I think, you know, it doesn't matter whether you've got kids or whether you're single, like we're all, we all have constraints of time and energy and money resources. And I think I wish I'd at the start seen the beauty in the constraint that's there rather than seeing it as a, oh, if, the, if only this thing wasn't here and we've all got that tendency. And one of the uh, books we read uh, as part of the Alton BA was this one called A Beautiful Constraint. And it invites people to look at a constraint and see how it could be flipped. And they tell the story of like Mick Jagger early on um, had like, you know, doing gigs in with the Rolling Stones in these tiny nightclubs and he had no stage to work with, like nowhere he could run into a swan dive or anything like that. So he just decided to create these crazy dance moves because that was the only thing he could do in that constrained space. And then that's what, that's how he developed that amazing stage presence. And he wouldn't have developed it had he had a big stage to start with. Um, so I think I would say to anyone, yeah, identify what your constraints are. Don't become a victim to them. Identify how they could be flipped. And if you're like me, like your time poor with big family and still teaching part-time and all that sort of stuff, you go, well, I'm going to have to find amazing people to work with and collaborate with to grow this thing because I'm not going to be able to do it. And and zeroing on that then goes, oh, well, that's the focus that I've got to, got to have. So I think I think the earlier you can really embrace that, that thinking, the better um, because you, you're more positive and you start to see things that you couldn't have seen before because you were looking at it through a victim lens rather than a, you know, opportunity or, you know, different kind of hopeful lens. Yeah. That is so insightful. And I've actually never heard anyone frame it like that. So that is such a helpful, practical way of thinking. And I think that is, yeah, that's so good. Mm. What was that book you said? Yeah, it's called A Beautiful Constraint. Ah, so good. Okay. I need to read that. That sounds great. Okay. Final question. What's next for you and Forever Projects? Well, yeah, we're in a really exciting um, season actually at FP. So uh, we we kicked off 2015 and we've just passed this amazing milestone of seeing uh, more than a thousand babies and their their carers, their mothers or their grandmothers or their aunties or whoever's looking after them um, go through the projects across now four cities in Tanzania. So where it started, where we adopted through in um, in the West, it's now scaled to three other cities. And you know, when we think about that day when we left the baby home with our three kids, and there's 50 other, 57 other kids who didn't have a family to think now there's a thousand kids who never even needed to enter an orphanage in the first place. Like that's that's super cool. And the way we've gotten there has been through our amazing community using what's in their hands, um, you know, fundraisers, all that sort of stuff. But we're at a point now where. Um, we want to be just sending increasingly like reliable funds to the teams in Tanzania. So we don't want to say to them, oh, this year we might raise $100,000 in October or 50000 in May. We want to be able to say you can count on us for 10 k a month per centre or something like that, you know, so that they can continue doing their work where they're currently at and then look over the hill and think about how could we expand our reach to them as well. Um, so really doubling down and pivoting our donor focus to be subscription and which I think a lot of businesses are. I was at an event on the weekend and I asked everyone to think about how many subscriptions they've got and, uh, you know, some of these people are in their 70s and they've got like seven different subscriptions and, you know, we, we really want people to subscribe to Forever Projects and the idea of giving could be, you know, 
as an individual, 10 bucks a month, or it could be a business giving more than that. But if we can build a community of subscribers and we want to get to a thousand by the end of the year, um, then the collective power of that group will be to just create this predictable, generous runway for the local teams to continue their work in Tanzania. So that's kind of the big focus that we're really excited about. So exciting. And where can people find you? Where can people search to, to learn more about what you guys are doing and potentially um, donate to what you're doing at Forever Projects? Yeah, they can find us on Instagram, Forever Projects. Uh, foreverprojects.org is their website. Yeah, our YouTube channel's got, we just created a really cool video that's kind of sums up our story so far that invites people into that next chapter. Uh, or reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. I'd love to chat. And we love forming like really bespoke partnerships with individuals or businesses who are really purpose-driven that resonate with our mission and find a way to um, really show up as that guide with empathy to go, all right, well, you're trying to be a generous family or a generous business. How do we come along and listen to where you're at and, you know, do a collaboration together to to, to invite you into that story and and help you tell that story for yourself about being generous and really purpose-driven what you're doing. Amazing. And we'll put all the links to all of those channels that people can find you in the show notes. But thank you so much for joining us today. And and thanks for being part of our International Women's Day campaign. It's been so great to be able to kind of help people see the amazing work that you guys are doing. And I think it's really important for us as we celebrate and empower women to actually be thinking broader than just where we are and broader than just Australia. And I think it's been such a pleasure to to work with you guys and and partner with you for all of this. So thank you so much for what you do and thank you for joining us. And, and I can't wait to see what you guys do next. Thank you so much. And thank you for, for using what's in your hands, Laura, because you've got, you know, literally you've got a microphone in front of you and you're using it generously to help us amplify our, our work. And so it's, it's people like you and our tribe that, that, that's how we've gotten to here so thanks for being part of our story my pleasure thank you what an inspiring story i hope that you feel encouraged i hope that you feel inspired by that conversation i love what forever projects do and i know that it's really important work now if you're looking for any of the links that were mentioned in today's episode head on over to our show notes you'll find everything you need there And if you want to search for it, just search mybusinessplaybook.com forward slash forever projects and you'll find everything you need. And hopefully you can check out their website and, and see what they're doing. As always, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing this episode, for leaving us reviews. It's very, very kind. Music from this episode is by Jake Scott. You can find him on Spotify and Apple Music. In the meantime, I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Go get him.